0: Phil's Breakfast Metal Episode 4. After last week, we uh, almost approached having a theme to the episode. This week, we've completely thrown that out of the window and gone for four totally unrelated albums. Uh, I'm just joined by Rob this week. Hello. Yeah, so the first album we're covering today is by a band I've been fond of for quite a while, but they're a relatively new band. This is uh, the British uh, progressive metal band Haken. who I discovered when their first demo came out, mm. <laughs> which is kind of cool. Uh, we're gonna be covering their third of four albums, This is The Mountain. So Haken have kind of gone on an interesting progression of starting off their their original demo was like this bizarre sort of just change riff to riff. Like it sounded like 20 bands blended together. Like you get like something that sounded like Coheed and Cambria moving into Dream Theatre, suddenly turning death metal, then like uh Improvised jazz breakdown. Followed uh, a couple of years later by their first proper album, Aquarius, a kind of dream theatre with less solos um, story of a mermaid. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> with some very nice songwriting as well. Sort of like images and words, dream theatre style thing. Yeah, yeah. It's much better than that makes it sound. It's in fact a very, very good mm, album. Mm. Um, that was followed up two years later by Visions, which is, um, yeah, a, a disappointing entry in the Haken catalogue. So they've got four albums, one EP. I'd say all of them really worth a listen, even the demo. But Visions is probably only worth it for the 20-minute title track. That is a concept album about uh, a man travelling back in time to kill the guy who tried to kill him as a baby, but accidentally not doing it or Um, (laughs) yeah I've not understood the concept yet I (laughs) might have to listen to it again and then finally we come like next we come to the mountain which is the one we're covering today which I would say is probably the peak of their albums I don't know how do you feel about that I'd agree definitely in terms of talking about the concepts of the album this one
2: The concept I think actually works on this one, Um, as well as it just being the sort of pinnacle of incorporating the different genres into a cohesive songwriting structure and getting everything sort of perfect on this album. The next album, um, Affinity, which was released, was it last year? I think it was earlier was this it, year. Early this year, yeah. Uh, is again a very different album. They've gone in a very different direction and have started moving on and doing different things to what they've done with the last three, uh, which is very interesting. I really like what they've done with it. I think The Mountain is still my favourite, but they're still doing interesting things.
0: Yeah, so um, concept wise, The Mountain seems to be a kind of. like kind of a modern retelling of the Icarus myth. It's. Um, it's about a character going through life, trying to achieve success, um, being seduced uh, away by false uh, false gold at one point, and eventually on his road to success, completely and utterly failing at the end. Um, <laughs> yeah, as, as if going too close to the sun and falling back to earth, which is uh, track ah, six. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. <laughs> yeah, um, always been very interested in the concept because... It doesn't let you know it's all going to go wrong to the end. so mm. you kind of start this album thinking it's going to be like a Devon Townsend epic Cloud type. Mm. This mm. is way too positive how it's got, a, it's got a very sort of motivational feel to it particularly early on. So yeah having that kick in the balls about halfway through was quite an incredible <laughs> um, yeah quite an incredible term for a concept album. I've not been that surprised since uh, Armageddon's crossing the Rubicon, <laughs> a concept album about humans having to leave Earth and eventually all dying in a spaceship and flying it into the sun. <laughs>
2: and get behind them. it's very <laughs> metal I think <laughs> it's, it's not
0: that good a album, but it's it's a very metal concept so we thought for this um, this album we might try something a bit different and actually just go through it track by track because this is the most of theirs which I think has such a distinct style song to song it still flows very well but there is such clear variation going on here we thought mm-hmm. probably the only way to really do it justice is to Try and talk about each track individually rather than summing them all up at once. So the album starts with a path. Like, Rob, do you want to give a quick description of this one?
2: Yeah, this one's uh, a little under three minutes long, and it's a really sort of calm piano and vocals um, intro, which sort of builds up this theme of motivation, trying to reach some kind of goal. It's a very sort of calm way of opening an album and doesn't sort of, in a way, prepare you for the really heavy riffs, which (laughs) will follow this. But it builds up really
0: nicely and sort of sets the tone of the album, I think. The other thing it introduced, which becomes a big part of this Haken album, and Haken hadn't really got on board with this before, is we get multiple layers of vocals, and not just like kind of massive harmonies, we get vocals doing different things at once. So we'll have like weird low backing vocals Mm. over, and they use the layering of vocals to layer the song up to to a good build-up, which then hits into the first like proper song of the album, Atlas Stone. But it
2: is really nice to hear that sort of uh, different use of vocal harmonies and techniques and stuff like that, because that will come back right at the end of the album for an amazing sort of closer, so it thematically works really
0: well with the sounds that they're using. Yeah, so, um, so when we get into Atlas Stone, Atlas Stone very much starts with... So Haken and Roy is a band who have got somewhat, possibly unfairly, but they've always been labelled in that camp of like Dream Theatre but bands there's a huge amount of them they vary from sounding exactly like Dream Theatre with slightly less musical ability to like some very interesting ones in that camp I think early Leprous could be described in this Mm, genre mm. Haken have always felt to me like a band doing what Dream Theatre do but doing it so much more interestingly like they never get bogged down in abrasively long solo sections you won't get a six minute guitar and keyboard trade-off. These guys are so brilliant musicians as to do really interesting stuff, like Dream Theater do have a tendency to, but they don't get weighed down in the virtuosity of it all.
2: Yeah, definitely. Atlas sounds a good example of that, because it is this amazing prog epic song, which starts building from the sort of piano we've had in the path, which builds into this song, and which has some, you know, doesn't start particularly heavy, but it does have some heavy sections. We're not up to the heaviest bits of this yet, but it does have heavy... Almost verging on genty stuff in this song,
0: and then it also has a jazz breakdown section. Well, this is the thing I want to get into: is you have like th- like this kind of verse chorus structure that would be like not out of place in a kind of hard rock heavy metal song, and that's like that builds up nicely, and then we get this breakdown that descends into what I can only describe as Frank Zappa esque off kilter <laughs> jazz. It's like it really sounds like the more archetypal Frank Zappa sound, if that's a thing. Mm, which, which, <laughs> which, which
2: then sort of builds its way up into a really tasteful guitar solo. Up Very that, nice.
0: Which is really
2: nice to hear. As great musicians, the ability to write a guitar solo, which works in the song and sounds really
0: melodic, but isn't sort of overbearing in how long it stays there, is really good. Yeah, um, and then following the first weird breakdown, there's now there's a second one towards the end, which where it turns into kind of like... 80s electronic influence <laughs> rock. Um, they, they bring this back with great effects on the next album, mm, with a song mm. called 1985, yeah. which is like if Phil Collins had access to from the past. But yeah, this, this is probably the first hints mm. of that.
2: Yeah, definitely. And that brings us on to um, Cockroach King, yeah. which is probably the most well-known song. It's the song I first heard from this, because it has an amazing music video that goes along with it.
0: <laughs> so Cockroach King... A, like, intros with... So, uh, this al- this band on this album, there's six members to uh, Haken at this point in time. Um, we've got two guitarists, one of them also switches between guitar and keyboard, uh, and then Diego, who is a, like, just keyboard player, drummer, bass player, and then Ross, who's just vocals. But for the first time on this album, I, I believe the first time at any rate, the entire band are doing backing vocals. Mm. So, with Cockroach King like it, the song mainly relies on like minimal riffs and just these hu- these bits where you get five or six different vocal melodies at once which i've never heard before in metal it's, it's
2: almost like a sort of bohemian rhapsody on a prog metal album which is which is really cool and and again the main riff to this song is really heavy like it starts off <laughs> as an incredibly heavy song yeah, I, I got members of my family into this song because they really like the vocal parts, and they're always surprised by how heavy the first riff is. <laughs> yeah, and then it comes in with this sort of almost a cappella bit, which is really nice.
0: So the the two guitarists, uh, Richard Henschel and Charlie Griffiths, both use like these very detuned seven string guitars, so have the ability to play very prog rock sounding riffs and so on. But quite often, and it seems it's probably the backbone of this album, they go back into these like, near-Gent kind of riffing, like, Mm. but more interesting than Gent because there's just more going on. I mean, maybe I'm just biased because I never really got into Gent, but... (laughs) So, um, on top of this, Ross Jennings is really experimenting with his vocals on this Mm. track. Mm. He does some very odd things. At one point, puts on a voice that can only be described as sounding like Kermit the Frog, (laughs) which is definitely inspiration for the music video released after the album for this track. In which the entire band are reimagined as Muppet-style puppets <laughs> and play the song. This you have to see this video. It is it's really good. It is one of the best metal videos I've ever seen. Uh,
2: however, the the video is I believe it's the five minute version of the song, which does miss out again because the Haken they have a sort of minute long or so
0: jazz interlude in the middle of this song and in the full length sort of eight minute or so song. Yeah, so they like, Haken seemingly haven't abandoned this from their demo days of having moments where they will clearly have written it by improvising in studio by just mm. like messing around in very odd or sometimes like discordant just very weird styles and often it will involve like the bass player and drummer going off in these kind of more jazzy um direction like very not rooted in rock or metal those moments but then we'll be brought back to metal by charlie or richard doing some like really heavy <laughs> like chugging over the top of it at some point point. Uh, so yeah, after Cockroach King, which is one of the highlights of the album, we get uh, In Memoriam, which is probably the most to the point song in the album. It's for a prog metal band. It's only a four minute long song, and effectively imagine a power ballad but over like a slower Mysugar song.
1: Yeah. So you've got the keyboards
0: <laughs> and vocals of a power ballad, and then Mysugar riffs.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: because it
2: starts as quite a calm song actually. But it, it, does, it does have a real heaviness to a lot of parts of it. And it has a real groove as well. Like As well as being able to do the sort of freeform jazz style and the metal, they can do really groovy music, which is really... It's nice to see all these different styles, particularly in progressive metal, which is meant to be a fusion of all sorts of different styles. To see them put together in this way where it feels like a complete song, even at four minutes, with hundreds of different styles of genre and stuff within it, is really good.
0: Yeah, um, this... this uh... Like, this style was described by uh, their guitarist Charlie in one interview I saw as Haken basically be, being Gentle Giant meets Meshuggah, which I think is actually an accurate description. I think it is very accurate, yeah. As much as I hate normally, they're kind of... <laughs> they, they sound like Megadeth on Speed meets... Uh, I can't think of another band to reference that with. <laughs> uh, don't yeah. <laughs> uh, that brings
2: us on to Because It's There which is sort of another break from the pace of the album having a lot of songs with heavy bits this is a much calmer song it's slow and sad in places but also motivational and you have sort of your vocal lines in this which I believe repeat right at the end of the album in oh, some way yeah, yeah. you have the same idea sort of throughout the album which
0: lends a sort of consistency to the whole thing I, they, so on this album there's nine tracks and there's four Three of these tracks, I'd say, are effectively like interludes in it. So because it's there, it's mainly just piano and vocals, like guitars mm-hmm. coming at the end, and you've got the path at the start, which is more, get just piano and vocals, and then towards the end you've got As Death and Braces. These are all kind of, they seem like breaks, like sort of purposeful breaks in the throw where you're ready to change to your new style after that point. I'd say because, it there, because It's There always strikes me as the, probably the weakest moment on the album. If there's a track I'd skip it, would be this one. Mm. It, maybe it builds up the setting well, but it just doesn't quite nail it as well as when they try this in the other two moments. After that, we get kind of the centrepiece of the album. This is like by far the longest track, uh, Falling Back to Earth. It's about 12 minutes long. Mm. Um, and it is by far the most changing of the songs on the album. Oh,
2: definitely. You've got a huge sort of dynamic range as well in terms of sound. You have these sort of muted whispering vocals over parts of it where you have really light guitars underneath. Building up, oh, the first riff actually, again, is really heavy and really loud and really in your face. And then sort of calms down, you've got wah pedals on the guitars
0: and this sort of really soft
2: bit building back into this really heavy sections.
0: Yeah, um, this song, um, I've seen them play live recently. So I've seen Haken live quite a few times and would definitely advise going to see his band live. Mm. They they definitely bring the full package. They are near perfect live. Mm. Although mm. the first time we saw them, leprechaun on Support and leprechaun are actually perfect live <laughs> and thus showed them up slightly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but still wonderful to watch. Yeah, and so Falling Back to Earth um, it moves through a lot of bizarre movements. So it probably has the heaviest riff of the album that intros say, the song. Uh, And, like, sort of this builds, and eventually builds this chorus, which is by far the cheesiest moment (laughs) of the album. I always felt, because,
2: I mean, the lyrics to it are soaring through the sky, and it sort of feels like a sort of power metal ballad where you're soaring through the air or something, next to this really heavy Meshuggah almost style riff.
0: Yeah, and and this song also has the most of the kind of, um, well, maybe parodilia towards the end, but has the most actual soloing and like lead guitar work in it. Like Mm. there is actually some cool solos. Because they can do solo and play around with that. They don't just go for the jazz breakdowns. But they're very tasteful with it. Far definitely. Far more so than 90% 90% of bands in
2: the genre. Yeah, and it's it's that sort of songwriting restraint in a way and the ability to do solos for the song rather than just to show if you're a really great guitarist that I think really makes this album stand out in the same way that Images and Words is a Dream Theater album really stands out because it everything in it serves the song and serves the album and makes a really nice musical
0: piece. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, so then we move into... Um after falling back to Earth forget As Death Embraces, which is the final kind of interlude track. Um, This is more, like, this begins with lots of Ross's vocals over, like, a gentle kind of piano music, but starts with a weird, like, almost, I don't know, kind of, like, -like church-like ritual-type thing. So his vocals have this really Mm -hmm. echoing effect and really slow, kind of, low singing. Um, I mean, yeah, the first
2: lyric in this song is forgive, but I'm convinced it's fuck yeah. (laughs) Because <laughs> it really sounds like that to me. <laughs> and not having had the lyric when I first listened to this, he's it was, it was just saying, fuck yeah. Which, I don't think it, it, it works very well as an interlude track, because it's another one of the much shorter ones, uh, which I suppose like does give a break. Mm. Uh, in between all of the... Particularly after Falling
0: Back to Earth, which is such a changeable and, most of the time, really heavy song. Yeah, so um, this leads into what was released, I think, as the before the album sort of single, uh, Peridelia, which is... Another eleven-minute-long mm. track. This is another very, very progressive. has a lot of movements in it. It's more mellow than Falling Batsworth. It seems yeah. to mainly base itself around like quite Eastern melodies, mm. Mm. like a lots of um, lots of acoustic guitar type things, and and like attempt. I think attempts to make the guitar sound like sitars and yeah. instruments yeah. like that. But does still have some heavy riffing. And, again, has moments of awesome lead guitar work. Well, yeah, again, really catchy lead guitar work, but also
2: like, an amazing... Uh, we'll see this really on the next track, but it does have some great sort of build-up of vocal lines, which start early in the song and build-up through a much calmer section into one of the much more aggressive, heavier sections where they get their sort of detuned guitars really going. And they have the same sort of
0: vocal lines going through it, which sounds really good. Yeah, so the the other kind of uh, thing to mention, when we say the build-up of vocals, this is often all six of the members singing and if you ever do get a chance to see Haken live there will be like five or six microphones on stage like mm-hmm. the band can reproduce this live Yeah, the yeah. drummer especially who we haven't <laughs> mentioned yet um, this is Ray Hearn he is incredible like a really 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 tasteful drumming again with guitar playing on albums like these it's
2: it's really important not to just devolve into showing the best drum fills you can manage. And right from the get-go, when he comes in on Atlas Stone, it's really tasteful, really works, and really matches the theme of the song throughout the whole album.
0: And he holds these very complex songs which go through different time signatures, like massive changes of pace, and he holds them together really tightly mm. and will occasionally drop in an absolutely awesome drum fill. Oh, like yeah, kind of yeah. yeah, Definitely. Yeah, Haken definitely blessed with a very good rhythm section mm. with Tom McLean on bass. Uh, Tom McLean, probably the only famous member of this band before who's a founding member of Tomero, I believe. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, he left soon after this album. Um, so yeah, Haken, I think are now settled down with a new bass player but were kind of uh, working with a lot of session musicians for the time mm-hmm. being after this. Yeah, so... Yeah, I feel we kind of left the rhythm section out in this, but yes, they they are equally incredible, yeah. but they hold it back a
2: bit. So somehow being able to hold down the massive
0: stylistic changes you have on this album is really impressive. And finally, uh, the album comes to a close with Somebody, which, possibly, the most impressive track on the album. So this is, it's kind of, um, it's still, yeah, very much a progressive metal song, but it is so unbelievably sad. Like, incredibly yeah yeah, Yeah. 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 it brings the pace down in a way i've never heard haken able to do before Mm. like they've never been able to set this mood before but with this they do something quite spectacular and i think what really leads it is again these multiple vocal lines like all these vocalists bringing together this absolutely Mm. incredible like way of writing with writing five or six vocal melodies it's hard enough to write one good one (laughs) And, and the way it builds up as well
2: from just you have the same vocal line about wanting to be somebody which starts off with just vocals and guitars and all the other vocal melodies and stuff and builds it up to the end where you have this horn section come in and just this amazing build up to the end of the song which really feels like it rounds out the album
0: so the, the horn section has become quite a Haken staple. They seem to, on every album, do this thing of, on the last track, they will really make the ending kind of riffs of it sound heavy mm. by bringing in their only guest musicians, which are a French horn player, a trombone player, a bass trombone player, and a tuba player. <laughs> and this this seems to be a thing they do quite often. And it sounds incredible, putting horns over the music in in this way. It
2: sounds very heavy, but in a different way from how that sort of detuned guitars sound. But combining them gives a real great sound. You know, more bands should do something like this. It sounds really good. Yeah, I guess just not
0: enough bands know really <laughs> good horn sections. <laughs> yeah, that, but that's the thing. You have to know the right musicians. Yeah, somebody very worth checking out. Some of the best kind of vocal melody progressions you'll, you'll ever hear in a song. Yeah. Especially uh, like a metal album where people don't play with this stuff as much Mm, as they can mm. do. Yeah, I think this is... I mean, I'd probably say this is the best written song
2: on the album. The entire album is really well written, but just how this manages to build up to the end of the
0: album and really solidify this is the end. It's so epic that nothing really could follow it. Yeah, definitely. Um, So to take away from this, definitely go watch the Cockroach King video. Mm. If that doesn't sell you on listening to the rest (laughs) of the album... I mean, this album is going to change your mind. If you hate prog metal, you're going to hate this, but that should that should sell anyone who's even remotely into that kind of genre the track we chose to play from this album we thought we'd go for In Memoriam, it's kind of representative and I think the fun thing to do with this is try listening to it and then ignore the keyboard and vocals and see how heavy the song gets without <laughs> that
2: So the second album we'll be covering is from Devon Townsend and it's Transcendence, which was released this year on Heavy Devi Records, um, and I really like this because I'm a huge Devon Townsend fan and have been since I first heard. I think it was like Vampire was the first Devon Townsend song I've heard, and he's been releasing a lot of new albums, uh, as Epicloud and Sky Blue, recently on this new really positive theme that he's been going on, and I've liked that and I thought they've been very good and done something that no one else has managed. Uh, well, Namely, uh, gospel metal. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I uh, very epic art especially. <laughs> mm. But Transcendence manages to, I think, marry that really positive gospel metal style. Um, loads of choir vocals. Huge. I think they had like two thousand people on um, Sky Blue to do some of the choir vocals. Um, with some of the earlier stuff, with different emotions, with really proggy aspects, really nice guitar work, and I think that makes this album a huge triumph, particularly compared to the ones that came
0: before it. Yeah, so like, unlike Rob, I'm a relatively recent convert to Devin Downs and I've never got hugely into his older stuff. The point where I was kind of brought on board was when Deconstruction was released. Mm. And that was pretty much got into it because it had loads of guest musicians I liked, like, like yeah. members of The Sugar, Michael Ackerfeld. and yeah, um, yeah. Dave Brocky from Guar. Yeah. <laughs> I
2: can't say Guar, but I quite like yeah, I quite right, like Dave. And, um, Dillinger Escape Plan as well on it, which is mm-hmm. a band
0: I'm not hugely fond of, but that section was great. I quite like him but don't know him as well as I mm. would like to have. But yeah. So I've come round to more of Devontowns and stuff, and this album sits in an interesting place because I thought deconstruction was incredible. Epicloud I thought was trying something really new and I did enjoy it for what it was, but I found it got tedious. Mm. Mm.
2: and it's a very long album Epic Cloud it's got I think maybe
0: 13-14 tracks on it oh and it's, and much like this album um it released a 10 track uh bonus disc with yeah, it as well yeah. because Devon Townsend has creative diarrhea yeah. I can't I cannot keep up with new... i still not got properly into Sky Blue and the, Z2. The speed that he manages to release these, you know, double albums is insane. And this complex music, it takes you a long... It takes you five, ten listeners to get your head around mm. it properly. L- Let M to actually write the music itself. But this one, I found as instantaneously rewarding as uh, Deconstruction. Whereas I've not found that with other stuff I've had to crack. And actually normally, kind of, when I hear it live, I'm like, oh, I suddenly get why... Mm. Grace is a cool song. Yeah, yeah. So I think the really nice thing about this one is that it um,
2: takes the really positive emotions and pairs them with some more negative emotions as well. Mm. Like a lot of the stuff he's done in Strapping Young Lad and earlier solo stuff with Ocean Machine and that sort of thing. It has songs that are sadder, like Failure, and it has bits of songs which aren't relentlessly happy. And I think this makes the happy moments stand out even more and feel like a real sort of push on the album as well as the sad moments working really well too because a lot of metal bands do sing about really horrible and fucked up things and that works really
0: well for Devin Townsend has worked for him for a long time and I like that pairing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So this album, Devin's kind of, well, this is, I should say as well, this is the Devon Townsend project. Not to yeah. be confused with the Devon Townsend band or Devon Townsend himself. They're <laughs> all distinctly different entities. Mm. Um, so this is a classic lineup of, uh, Ryan Van. I can't pronounce his last name. RVP. Yeah, RVP. On uh, uh, Brian on bass still. And um, Dave Young on guitar. Dave Young on guitar. And I think, was he an official member of the band on Z2? Uh, Mike and Jean. I can't remember. Yeah, so Mike St. Jean on keyboards, who is a relatively recent addition to the band. Mm. And the other, the kind of, aponymous six member, um, Annette van Gushenberg, uh who, if you've seen him live, like any of the really high-budget live recordings, like um, uh, Retinal, Retinal Circus, Circus yeah. or what was the one you actually saw? Um, live at the Royal Albert Hall. She wasn't
2: there for that was one. Was she not there? Um, but the singer, whose name I can't from remember, on, on Z2, from
0: Stolen Babies, was there. She's fucking brilliant. She's great. Yeah. I, I've got to admit, I do prefer her to Annette, but, like... She she does definitely offer a great counterpoint to Devin's Mm. voice. Oh, definitely. Uh, So this
2: album um, actually opens up with another re-recording. Devin did this on Epicloud as well with Kingdom. Uh, But it opens with Truth, which is from 1998, uh, which is from the album Infinity. Uh, So it's this ancient track, uh, which has been re-recorded with this new production, all of the new studio stuff that Devin could do, and sounds really good. And weirdly enough, it actually fits the album perfectly, despite having been, you know, written in 1998
0: or Mm. before then. So production-wise, this is just totally what you come to expect for Devin. His albums, like, in that kind of way, have sounded very similar for a long time. Like, Devin Townsend Project, they've got that sound now, And if you've heard any of the material, you know what that is. So,
2: I mean, I think this album is actually a significant step up from the last two in terms of production. Uh, There's a great um, series of studio diaries they released um, from the studio, focusing on each member of the band and looking at their experience of recording. And just the sort of, uh, they're really entertaining to watch and they're not particularly long. uh, Because they're, you know, they're all quite mild-mannered Canadian men and they're all quite entertaining to listen to. Um, yeah. But some of the production's incredible. They had, um, I believe, Nolly from Periphery was doing some of the studio tech stuff with them. And on the drums, he actually tuned the drums separately
0: for each song, so the drums were in tune with the songs, which is mad. I, I, I don't know if I even quite understand that as a concept. So on Deconstruction, I know at least they actually recorded with an orchestra. On this album, uh, I it's entirely programmed, although it is hard to tell. Mm. Much like. Both me and Rob made the mistake of thinking Flesh God Apocalypse and recording with an orchestra <laughs> for their first two albums. This is effectively the same. Yeah, yeah, they managed to do it seamlessly. You cannot tell
2: that this is a programmed orchestra. It sounds just as sort of real as when they had the 2000 voice choir. And mm. again, these guys are just very good at doing what mm. they do. But yeah, it's, it's a really impressive album, which varies a lot. We've got sort of like longer songs, like maybe Failure or Secret Sciences. Or Higher, actually, is worth a particular mention. Higher is the longest song, nearly 10 minutes, and has this sort of amazing choral main section to it, which in the middle devolves into a deconstruction, strapping young lad style, really heavy, really aggressive. Devin goes full on on the screen vocals section, which is my favourite point of the album, because it's so nice to see that really heavy, aggressive edge return to Devin's
0: music. Yeah, I've not heard him scream like that since strapping. I... Mm. He's really like, he really goes about too hard, and like Ryan really gets in there with the drumming, like, it is fast and like it is near death metal drumming kind Mm, of mm. um yeah ryan's drumming's the coolest i think i've ever
2: heard it i think this is so the really interesting thing about this album if you um, watch the studio diaries they have is this is the first time dev has actually surrendered some of the creative control to the other musicians he's known these guys for a very long time they've been here for ages and he felt like this time he could actually let them do some of the writing rather than just living out Ah. his vision because they know what his vision is now That's Um, interesting. And I think that's really helped with this album, at least. Just listening to it compared to the more recent um, entries, it just has a lot more variation. And I really like that. Some of the drum parts are more complicated, more interesting. There's some more interesting guitar parts as well, I think. Particularly if you listen to um, the other disc that comes with this, Holding Patterns. It's got one song uh, called Monkey Mind, which is just this insane guitar duel. Um, between uh, Devin and Dave, which is a really, really cool song. See those two showing off soloing, which we've not seen before. Like, mm, mm. it's great to hear all these new elements come back, and um, with the sort of makeup of the um, band as well, it's interesting to see. If you look back at the live DVD, which came out with Sinquestra, the early two thousands, I believe, um, you'll see that there's they do a they play Truth then, mm. um, but Dave. Is, well, at that point was actually playing bass and um, Beave was actually playing guitar and they have a version of Truth where they all swap around and Beave ends up on bass and Dave ends up on guitar which is really weird because that's what they're playing now and now they've just re-recorded Truth playing that which is really cool but you know these guys have been around for ages
0: with Devin and now they've been able to lend their own sort of writing chops to this album Yeah definitely and it's got some really interesting, we're seeing longer songs rather than more so mm. it's only a nine track album I think Nine with a bonus track. Um yeah. and yeah, we're getting a lot more songs that are going through more movements, whereas Epic Lab was like thirteen songs, but they were yeah, all around yeah. the five minute kind of mark. We've got a lot of tracks, Higher as mentioned earlier, has this crazily heavy breakdown. Secret Sciences has a really weird movement in the middle. Um mm. Transcendence, um, the title track of the album builds up with this epic orchestral part coming in over like blasting drums. Yeah. Very aller yeah. flesh got a it's <laughs> like <laughs> short of the the screen vocals there. And then then that leads straight into the most kind of, I don't know, poppy offering of the album, uh, Offer Your Light, which has an intro that puts me massively in mind of bands like Mindless Self-Indulgence. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, this full-on sort of keyboard-style bit which comes in with these pounding drums. Again, the
2: drums just sound phenomenal on this album. I really like it. Uh, And then really cool guitars. It's a really short, catchy song. Uh, that I really really like, and it fits really well within the context of the album. Each song feels like it deserves to be there. Rather on, on Evercloud, there were so many songs, and there were some great songs on there, but a few of them felt like, well, maybe that's a similar concept to that. Each yeah. song here
0: sort of embodies something different. It w- works really nicely. I would say pr- this is the first Devin Townsend album I've got in a while that I don't feel is overcrammed. Mm. Like, see, so, mm. so much like Evercloud, it comes with a whole bonus disc, another ten demo tracks, but. If you just take this album at the nine track kind of running thing, it's far more concise and well written, like well constructed and say, deconstruction that kind of runs at speed towards the end, mm. Epic Cloud that just has a middle that drags on too long, uh, like even like Sky Blue and Z2, it's a double album. It's just so much music that yeah. it's yeah. not all gonna just kill it as much as the perfect moments, like, you know chorus of Off Your Light or the ending mm. of Transcendence which are real highlights mm. Mm. of the last decade of Devon's writing. I oh yeah, exactly. definitely. It really brings it all together. As I was saying earlier with the proggy
2: elements that it brings back in the first track I heard from this was Failure and the thing that really pleased me about Failure was not only that it sounded you know, a bit sadder than a lot of the music that Devin had been making recently um, it also had this really proggy guitar solo in the middle of it. I love to see Devin coming back with guitar solos because I feel he is one of the people who can write really tasteful, really nice
0: guitar solos and make them fit the song wonderfully. As someone who kind of... like, I enjoy a well-written guitar solo. I did find Devin's stance for the last like however many years of never doing them yeah. a, a bit doing. disappointing because the guy can nail it. Yeah, I know they're not difficult to him anymore mm. and he feels often, you know, over-reliance on sweet picking is totally unmusical. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I uh, have to agree, but he can write great melodic lead. You you go back to old songs like Earth Day, there's some fantastic leads on that. It's such a shame to lose them, so really nice he's bringing that back.
2: It's great to hear all these elements
0: come together in one album.
2: Uh, I mean, my only criticisms of the album mainly are From the Heart is perhaps a little too long. Well, I'd Um, say
0: the final track of the album, From the Heart, I think can be described thusly. It sounds exactly like a song recorded by Devon Townsend <laughs> called From the Heart. It's yeah,
1: exactly yeah. what
0: you would expect. It does that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. I, I really like the song. I think it, particularly as it gets going, it really picks up into a great song. Um, I just sort of wish it was a little more focused like the rest of the album, but I mean that's hardly a criticism. Yeah, I know. It's I, still I, very good.
0: I completely agree. I feel the ending is dragged out on it. Mm. So the single of this album is the second track Stormbending. Which we haven't mentioned so far. And I'd say like if you've just heard that song, don't judge the album too harshly on that because I don't think that was one of the stronger moments for me. I don't think it's
2: a particularly representative song of the whole album. Um, Dev was saying that Stormbending was a sort of really personal song for him and hence why it's now got a music video has become the single of the album. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do really like Stormbending, but I would agree that it's not the strongest moment of
0: the album overall. And it sounds far more in the vein of more recent albums than a lot of the rest of this, like in, in yeah. comparison, say, Higher or Transcendence, which have mm. far more kind of stuff that harks back to his older moments and some quite original ideas in there as well like definitely not that Devin Townsend isn't <laughs> <laughs> to say Devin Townsend is not original is completely insane <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah to say like no one writes music at all like Devin Townsend no he's no certainly one makes uh, albums like this I
0: can understand not getting his style but yeah he's certainly a unique he's definitely like the Frank Zapper of our, our age and to say as well like his vocals are on
2: point throughout this entire album I don't think I've heard a Devin vocal performance which hasn't been incredible. As we say, there are bits where he goes into the full screaming and he can still do that and make mm-hmm. it sound really convincing and genuine. Uh, and his clean vocals, as always, are
0: spectacular throughout the whole album. Yeah, Devin has a control of his vocal cords. Not many people have. Mm-hmm. Like, the amount of range he's got is always surprising. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know if there's much else uh, worth mentioning about this. The album has a bonus track of a Ween cover called "Transdermal Celebration," which it's alright. I I mean, I liked
2: it more than the Ween version. Um, Dev is a huge Ween fan, and one of my favourite Dev albums, um, "Terrier," was inspired by Ween's "White Pepper" um, to a fair degree, if I'm to believe what I've read on the internet. Um, And I've never really got Ween. I've tried because I love Terrier so much, but I've never really got them. Mm. I feel getting the full Dev and Townsend treatment. I really like it after it's got that. Um, but it's def- it definitely sort of seems like a bit of an outlier to the rest of the
0: album. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think it's actually meant to be part of the runtime.
1: Mm, mm.
0: And yeah, again, as we mentioned, beyond that bonus track, there's ten uh, a disc of 10 bonus songs you can get if you get the extended edition of the album. Mm. Uh, I think the, the album's got its own title of Holding Patterns. Holding Patterns, yeah. Yeah, and I think the main thing to say about this is they're the best produced demos you're ever gonna hear.
2: <laughs> yeah, I would, I would recommend getting that just so you can hear uh, Monkey Mind, which is the guitar duel one that he has. Uh, actually, the, my second favorite song from that, after that, is Knucklehead, which is Devin doing like a short two minute rock song. Yeah, that's uh, which, cool. which, which with his sort of wall of sound style production sounds awesome, even yeah. though it's only a demo. I'm oh, very fond of that. But yeah, the amount of songs he writes for one album is it's wrong, really. I don't think anyone should be able to
0: write that many songs that quickly. No, no. Like, of, of this quality. The, the guy's creativity and ability to put out music is always astounding. Because you get mm. in this time period, we mentioned all these albums that have come out in the last four or five years, We've ignored casualties of Call cool and Ghost. Yeah, yeah. Both projects that I don't really get into, but like there's certainly something completely different. And actually casualties of calls vocalist Shay is on this album at some points although I've not worked out exactly what parts um, she's singing in neither have I um, I think that pretty much covers it for Devon like we we thought we'd go for Secret Sciences to to play this talk set out um, yeah, we could have chosen a lot of tracks for this album I don't know whether this is the most representative but it goes for a lot of interesting movements in the most heavy section in the middle where Brian really uh, shows off his double kicks. but yeah just we by the most true metal band of all, <laughs> the the uh, Kings of Steel, uh, it's Man O' War. <laughs> We So me and Rob have a tendency to agree on most albums, or at least I've never managed to show Rob an album where he's gone, that's awful. So I thought I'd try an album that I really like and gets a lot of shit, but... Um, but didn't work. So we're covering Manowar's third album, "Hail to England," which which is really good. I, I, I didn't know what I was expecting from
2: this because I've heard a fair amount of the more popular Manowar stuff, and it's never really worked for me. But this album, I really liked.
0: Yes. Yeah, so I should clarify when I say I really like Manowar, I like Ross the Boss era Manowar. <laughs> I, I I've kind of tailed off on them quite quite spectacularly, but. So this is the, the third album by Manowar. So if you don't know much about them, they were formed by um, Joey DiMaggio and Ross the Boss when they met as guitar techs for Black Sabbath uh, during a tour in the UK. Um, and, yeah, effectively wanted to create something just more metal than anything else. Mm-hmm. They, so they, they formed in 1980, and this album came out in 1984. So, you know... This is about the time Thrash is getting going. Sort of, it's a bit beyond the sort of start of New Wave of British Heavy Metal, mm. but not massively. It's still, and it is so rooted in that kind of sound. Oh, definitely, they sort of really bass-driven, heavy riffing, but um, still in quite high tuning. These are not these guys aren't playing in B. Yeah, or, or you know, w- without the seriously heavy distortion that you hear later on. Yeah, so again, we thought much like the Haken album, this might be a fun one to go through track by track. It's only seven songs long. It's this album's thirty-three minutes in total. Yeah, yeah, which
2: it's amazingly restrained. I, yeah. I
0: really like an album which can keep it to, I mean, maybe a little longer than half an hour, forty-five minutes is fine, but half-hour album that sits together nicely is really good. I think mean, possibly that's to do with it coming out in the '80s, mm. back when, because well, like uh, on the track listing I've got here, it's side A and B, <laughs> yeah. which yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> before CD days. Yeah. Yeah, so um, this album starts with probably one of the most famous tracks of the album, Blood of My Enemies, which has a kind of gentle, kind of harmonic guitar intro, yeah, yeah. followed by the most awesome scream from Eric Adams. <laughs> like, <laughs> it really says the tone
2: of this album. Like, the vocals are... Exceptional. I was really, really impressed with this. Uh, we'll come back to that on Kill of Power, but this first scream is fantastic. It really sets this epic sort of fighting tone for the album, which you get from the interesting cover art.
3: It's, it's that sort of
2: you know warriors who are fighting for something, it, but it, it it's cheesy, but they have the power and the like songwriting chops to actually back it up, and it.
0: I'm fine with it being that cheesy. It works. Yeah. So again, this is much like in the vein of, like we were talking about Haken earlier. If you if you don't get new over British heavy metal, you're not going to get this. This won't be the album that converts you. But like cheesiness aside, it's still heavy. It's still mm-hmm. powerful. Like it, it is. Imp- it, it is achieving what Manuel originally set out to do, which I would argue a lot of their latest stuff doesn't. Yeah. And and then another thing that should be noted is. The Lyrical themes like this is before we just get into that die for metal period where Manowar war are just writing songs about metal, yeah they're, yeah. they're like, uh, Blood of My Enemies is a kind of I don't know, sort of like Viking war hymn, type, yeah, yeah, where where of wars uh, characters are characters of the bad guys,
2: mm, mm. and uh, yeah, it, there's one song, um, Army of Immortals, which is the sort of fan service type thing which they went on to do and for one song like I think I'm Immortals is a great song on this album it really, it works really is, well yeah. but yeah they have a huge variety of topics which we'll get into as we go through the songs
0: so um, I'm Immortals has a lot of Man War signatures it's, it's yeah like Eric is screaming his head off it is it, very impressive Wales and then you get to the chorus and we have the classic slight bit of keyboard coming mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to add emphasis and then then Ross, who I've always thought was a much better solo writer than uh, Carl Logan, I believe, the guy who replaced him. Carl Logan, more impressive shredder, more impressive guitarist, but Ross just can write solos really neatly. Mm-hmm. Um, another notable thing about this song is there is an amazing Edge of Sanity cover of it on uh, The Spectral Sorrows. Oh, mm. I haven't heard that. That's... Yeah, definitely <laughs> worth checking out. Yeah. It's just stuck in the middle of a death metal album's tracklist for no reason. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, so
2: I suppose the other thing you notice from the onset is that the bass is really prominent. Uh, you can really hear it, and the bass and guitar together have a really sort of dirty sound to them, uh, which I think lends credence to this whole. It's very cheesy, but at the same time, it has this weight and this power, and the guitar tone and the really prominent bass help really drive this forwards. With...
0: Yeah, it's it's not a super clean album. The like, the bass is very high in the mix, but quite muddy. Like Joey is mm. playing incredibly fast as as he normally does. Um, and it sort of makes this really good throbbing undercurrent to a lot of the riffs. My main criticism of this album actually has to be the rhythm guitar tone is a bit weak. It sounds kind of cool by itself, but in the overall mix, it tends to sit a bit below the bass and doesn't sound quite as heavy as it could be. Okay, yeah. Um, We move into Each Dawn I Die, which is one of the most satanic uh, yeah, songs yeah. of the album. I was really sort of taken by, this, this song sounds really
2: quite evil. The riff, you know, sounds like, I don't know, early doom metal bits of Surrey fungal and stuff like that. And I almost felt, part of the vocals, where they have these sort of operatic screams, sounded almost Candlemas-like.
1: <laughs> like, and a sort of
2: Messiah level. I was thinking, nah, this is really cool for
0: Man of War to be doing this doomy stuff. I can see that. I can really see that. And then, following Each Strong I Die, we get probably the most powerful piece of the album. <laughs> Kill with power, <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> which has an amazing chorus. The, yeah, this is pure Viking nonsense, um, and yeah, this is just such a heavy song. If you isolate these riffs, lots of like really fast picking, mm. massive. Like the main riff of this song is just based around slides,
2: like yeah, it's just yeah.
0: sliding down the neck of the star,
2: picking this, really quickly. It does really feel like a sort of fast new wave British heavy metal song. Um, but with these yeah really impressive vocals over the top and with these lyrical themes of war and fighting and pride and stuff like that which you know becomes silly at some points but on this song feels really genuine
0: yeah I, I again I I don't know why this works but it really does mm-hmm. um and yeah has probably the longest solo of the album which is completed by Joey doing a bass solo at the yeah, end yeah. which is kind of hard to recognise as a bass solo if you yeah. know oh, yeah definitely um yeah, and proof of how heavy this is, you have to listen to the Arch Enemy cover of it on the Dead Eyes <laughs> See No Future EP, because it's
1: fucking great. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, then we get possibly... no, it's not the silliest. The silliest track of this side of the, the album, album. yeah. The title track, Hail to, to England. England. Which I think has a bit more of a rock influence to it than mm. a lot of the other
2: tracks, which are very clearly new over British heavy metal style things. Um, yeah, it just has that sort of guitar feel of a slightly happier guitar riff, particularly than songs like Each Dawn I Die. Mm. Um, and again, the, the lyrical themes are really, really cheesy. But uh, Manowar have this, at least on this album, have this amazing ability to win me over and make me feel, yeah,
0: we're going to go to England and collect the Holy Grail or something like that. Yeah, I, it seems to be confu- like a confused story about riding around the English countryside. <laughs> like, I think it's meant to be about the Knights of Camelot, but mm. much in the way of many Manowar lyrics, if you've ever heard their latest stuff about Vikings, they have no idea what Viking mythology <laughs> is. and <laughs> have just made up their own <laughs> version. They... In one of their songs, they definitely refer to Loki as Odin's brother, which is not. <laughs> it is incredibly wrong. Yeah, people who watch Marvel films know that that's wrong. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um,
0: really catchy song though. Like I, I do think it's one of the better tracks on the album. Really enjoy this and has a great chorus. So. Yeah, it has
2: early, you know, it's got some sort of extra vocals on the chorus as well, rather than just um, Eric Adams doing it himself. And you know, like, you really want to f- start chanting Hail to England with them. It,
0: it really has this power to win you over with something which you shouldn't be able to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, after the last few months, I definitely don't want to chart that. But. <laughs> 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 and, and <laughs> then we move into the first Man of War song I think ever written of this nature, but will become totally ubiquitous with them. Mm. This is Army of Immortals, which is. Possibly one of the first ever metal songs that are exclusively about metal. Yeah, which at the time was a cool thing, you know, it was celebrating the fans and the community that
2: bands like Manowar and all the others at this time had. And, you know, it's it's a really great song, but it adds a little bit of um, variation to the lyrical themes that they've got
0: on this album, and I really like it. Yeah, uh, very enjoyable track, and again, it's quite a heavy one, like... If these riffs were played on detuned guitars with a kind of thicker modern production, Mm. they would sound pretty hefty. Yeah,
2: which, you know, comes back to the whole idea of creating something that's more metal than anything else. You know, just the productions of the time, if you switch this up, it would sound really heavy. And it still does sound really heavy.
0: Yeah, definitely. And this probably has the most laughable lyrics. I mean, the refrain (laughs) at the end of the song is like uh, the guitars play out. Is Eric chanting "Metal makes us strong"? Yeah. <laughs> it's fun though. <laughs> yeah. Then we come to the unarguable weak point of the album. Yeah. Uh, this is Black Arrow, which starts with Joey, talk- Joey the bass player, talking in a like really um, modified voice, I think his voice has been like pitched downwards, uh, saying, oh, I, "I do this sort from of memory." Uh, Let each note I now play be a black arrow arrow against my enemies. (laughs) Straight to the heart of those that play false metal and then does an incredible (laughs) scream that I won't try and imitate.
2: Yeah, which is then followed by this ridiculous shredding guitar solo for about three minutes, which, I mean, I like Man of War and I really like the solos that
0: Ross the Boss wrote on most of this. But I mean, this is just guitar bakery Ah, oh no, it's, it's not guitar anchor guitar? No, that's a bass. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's impressive that a bass... He's managed to do something of a bass to make this noise. The noise is horrible. I yeah, cannot... Yeah. I've never finished listening to the song. Because <laughs> it's three minutes of
1: just... Yeah, like
0: mindless yeah. shredding. Had it had it been thirty seconds, maybe I could have forgiven it. But three minutes is a long time to listen to that. I did read review on Metal Archives yesterday when I was looking up details of this album that described it as the greatest solo they had ever heard, which I can only I, believe I... was someone messing with us. <laughs> <be>. I... <laughs> yeah, uh, I've just
2: looked at my notes on this as well, and I said, there are six Black Arrows can fuck off." Uh,
0: I love this album, but Black Arrow is just not a good. Point. Yeah, much like Rain in Blood, this is a very short to the point album that I I never would listen to out of order because it just mm. it just works. Mm. It just is what it is. It achieves what it was set up to achieve very quickly, and it's so to the point, and there's hardly any kind of um, fat on it. But Black Arrow, I skip every time. Just yeah. can't deal yeah. with it. But that leads us into the nine minute closure of the album Bridge of Death, which starts with an intro that you've got to play in isolation. Just listen to the first, like, I think 12 seconds or yeah. so. This sounds like it could be on a Dark Throne album. Mm, mm. It, it, it's Ross playing, like, an only slightly distorted guitar, like really fast picking. And it sounds like the most black metal riff ever.
2: Oh, definitely. And that reminds me of something I meant to say earlier is that weirdly from this album, I was getting a lot of vibes of uh, sort of mid-period Bathory, particularly the album Blood and Ice. Uh, Blood of My Enemies, if you listen to the main riff of that and then listen to the main riff of um, The Sword from Blood and Ice by Bathory, they're all really weirdly similar. Same with Bridge of Death. After we have this sort of weirdly sort of predicting black metal intro, you have this sort of soft guitar building up, which really sounds like um, the Wood Woman off of Blood and Ice by Bathory. Uh. So you have this weird sort of convergence of these two styles. And it, it wouldn't surprise me of that era of Bathory, the sort of Viking metal phase, was slightly influenced by bands like Manowar.
0: Yeah, so this song is definitely the the biggest attempt at being epic on the album. It's a, it's a song about wanting to serve Satan mm. it goes for a fair amount of movements I'd say possibly the biggest failure in regards to the, the other songs like it's too long, Like it doesn't quite nail, nail it as much as it could it has a very epic moment in the middle where you get this kind of slower riff of the chiming bells coming in over the top of it that's pretty spectacular I mean it's really enjoyable so I just don't think it's quite up to the quality of the first five tracks
2: Okay, potentially. Like I quite liked having the variation. and I really mm. liked having a sort of, you know, hallowed-be-thy-name style closer of the much longer, more epic track. And I felt that it worked quite well, particularly with the differences it had with a lot of unaccompanied vocal sections um, accented by the sort of musical bits on either side, and then the slower riffs, um, particularly with gaps which
0: allowed the really powerful drum sound to shine through which I thought worked really nice. Yeah, talking of drum we haven't mentioned the drum so far. Scott Columbus, who uh, sadly passed away in 2011, is being like the was the long-standing drummer of uh, Man Awards on most of their albums. Uh, fact about him, apparently he has to have a stainless steel drum kit because he used to play drums so hard he'd destroy the kits most gigs. <laughs> That's probably nonsense, but I love it as a story. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, you can imagine it listening to him play on this album. He's a very, again, very restrained drummer, which for this style for such a short album works really well and I think it really shines on Bridge of Death because you do have those moments where it's just drums
0: and you can just hear this pounding groove which supports the whole song. I think that is one of the major elements that would separate this from say like Iron Maidens at the time because mm. this guy is completely different drawing style to say something like Nico is yeah. very complex yeah. very all over the kit whereas Scott like really just has these tight grooves and like Ross really fits in with that and then Joey gets more kind of uh, space to go off and do his own thing so yeah like more bass driven than Mm. most of those albums even Iron Maiden who you know is all written by their bass player but like with with Iron Maiden Steve doesn't get to show off quite as he shows off a huge amount but like (laughs) not quite as driven by it as this album is like very it is a strong closer I guess I, I just think it might be slightly too long but that's me um Things we should probably mention about this, it would be remiss of us not to mention the very clear mistake on the cover. <laughs> so this is the first Man-O-War album cover to feature what would be the Man-O-War staple of a giant barbarian wearing a loincloth with <laughs> impossible chest muscles mm. uh, next to a naked woman, um, which they, they've done a good series of these ever since. The previous album was just the band looking like that guy all oiled up with loincloths. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite spectacular. Mm the The clear mistake is they wanted their their barbarian warrior to be hanging, flying the England flag. He's accidentally flying the Union Jack, <laughs> but we can forgive that. <laughs> uh, the other thing is, if you
2: if you look at the front of the album, he's wearing a particularly fetching um, codpiece, which looks like Satan's head. If you open the album up and have a look at the inside, it the picture has just zoomed in on the back of the cover, <laughs> on the codpiece and his ridiculous chest muscles. Um, I mean, Manowar. Convinced of their position, they're, they're, they're full in for the power
0: and glory. And at this point, I'm with them. Like they did a great work with this. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd love to see a slight. And actually, I have seen Ross the Boss touring as a solo entity, and he plays tracks like "Hail to England" live. Oh, fantastic. And yeah, it's pretty cool. So yeah, check that out if you can. I don't know that Mana will play a hell of a lot off this album anymore. Like more recent kind of live performances don't seem to have too much of it. But I could be wrong being that I live in England amazingly they don't really come back here anymore mm. like um, mm. so I've never had a chance to see them live definitely would like to at some point they are that ridiculous that <laughs> you've yes. got to check out <laughs> we thought to uh, to show, like, close the set up we'd go for Blood of My Enemies and again definitely check out the Edge of Sanity cover check out the Arch Enemy cover listening to them like side by side mm. is really like an interesting thing and pay attention to the first screen on this <laughs>
2: so the last album we'll be doing today uh, is by Aga Cocker and this is Words That Go Unspoken Deeds That Go Undone Uh, it was released in 2005 off Earache Records and um, it's quite topical now as Aga Cocker are now back and we've seen them recently so we'd (laughs) like to go over one of our sort of favourite Aga Cocker
0: albums yeah so as Rob is a huge Devon fan I am an obsessive fan of this band (laughs) and like all their various side projects and slightly related bands. But yeah. This is the fourth album of the band. It sees we have kind of the classic lineup of David Gray, um, and Jason Mendoca and Peter Theobalds who are on most I think I think they're all on the first four Peter quits after this album. And then we have longtime guitarist uh Paul um Scanlon quits and is replaced by ex berserker guitarist uh Matt Wilcock who Definitely brings his own flavour to this album. Mm. This this album takes a huge leap from Kronzon, on the one before. So Akerkar are a band who have evolved album to album in a massive way. Like their first album, Rape of the Bastard Narazim, is really kind of messy, chaotic, like satanic as hell, but still, yeah, very confused album. It goes in a lot of stylistic directions. Then you get that style is kind of more honed for the go-to Mendes, and we get far more kind of this black and death metal, very consistent album, very scary, but with still this, like, very raw, more black metal production. Then Chronzon, we approach, like, they embrace more of the death and death metal influence and more of the progressive metal influence, and massive up in production quality, kind of, up in ability of the players. Which is, I think, where we both first heard them. I think we both first saw it on Scuzz mm. TV, where we saw the video for Leviathan, which is off Cronzone, which is a great song. Which is an amazing intro to the band as well, because it pretty much sums up their their mm. their, their <laughs> themes and appearance. <laughs> the, the video has uh, all four members of the band sat in high-backed armchairs in, like... dressing suits. D- suits. Dressed in amazing suits, sat in, like, some weird, like... Car park or something (laughs) while a naked woman dances around them. (laughs) Akakoga videos do follow a theme Mm, and they mm. generally involve tits and And satanism. satanism. (laughs) So, this this is the fourth album, uh, Words That Go Unspoken, Deeds That Go Undone, takes another massive leap. Like, I think more more embracing the progressive sound than ever before and the leap in production quality is huge Mm, Um, and like Matt Wilcock really brings a different sound on guitar now um, Paul had an incredibly weird style of soloing like he's a very unique guitarist you can certainly uh, you can tell it's him on anything he plays on but then Matt brings in a far more technically proficient kind Mm, of mm. Playing style like that guy can spread like nothing on earth. But, I believe as well. Um, Paul wrote quite a lot for this album. Although he'd left the band, a lot of the stuff that was written for this was stuff he yeah, played. Yeah, I think he had like he wrote on at least four or five of the tracks for this. Mm. So we're still seeing his influence. I think it's possibly why um, the band are less fond of the following album, The Antichrist, because it didn't have that influence mm. so much and. Uh, caused Jason to eventually quit the band and then go on a hiatus for four or five years. Mm. So this album, um, it begins pretty much as it means to with the incredibly heavy Verdile. This, If you use Snack Cocker, it's kind of changing things up. The riffs are more death metal. I don't know whether that's just the, the increased production values that give it that feel, but we have... Just the absolute evil of that mixed with, like, by now, Jason's like trademark... Trademark
2: unintelligible, <laughs> but really
0: evil-sounding, harsh vocals. Yeah, so very, very low, guttural grunting that it is just... You will not work out what words he's no, saying. It's no. it's impossible. But then mixed in with... They've always done this, but more so than ever before on this album, a lot more clean vocals for him, from him. Yeah. Uh, well, as well, so you
2: have the really high screams that come in at parts as well, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll talk about this in a bit more, but uh, when we saw them live recently in Bristol uh, as part of the sort of reunion tour, I think you've seen them... I've on... seen them twice now. Twice uh, now, yeah. I saw their the first from return
0: gig at Bloodstock, which is all up on YouTube. Well worth watch. Mm, Forgive definitely. the vocals, Bloodstock's sound recording seems to give them a very dry quality, mm. which makes... Every vocalist recorded there sound like shit. Um, but yeah, honestly, just listening to the vocals live, particularly the high screens, I was blown away
2: by this. They sound incredible. And Jason's clean vocals are awesome. There's no one that sounds quite like him. Uh, he has this sort almost like ritualistic feel to them. They feel like this chant to summon the devil, which, I don't know, is, I think, a lot of Aga Kocka's thing.
0: Yeah, uh, so they, um, kind of in the vein of uh, a lot of goth metal, or goth rock kind of bands, like, mid-range kind of scene but the better end of that was some with quite a deep voice as well like not not really deep not Pete Steele but it's <laughs> it, the, you're not getting your kind of Rob Halford falsetto at any mm. point on this well, and sometimes it sort of devolves into him just
2: yelling as well, yeah. which adds a real sort of different element, as opposed to just the unintelligible screams. You do have these bits where you know what he's saying, and you can really hear the emotion in it. Mixing that with the high screams and the really low guttural screams is really good for this album.
0: That's a, yeah, that's a really good point. Like he uses this a lot to really build tracks up, where he can go through some very clean singing into this kind of more um, yeah like near shouting kind of stuff, and then that will descend into his. Structural growling mm. or, or high pitched screams. Like this is really um well shown on the tracks like Shelter from the Sand. Shelter from the Sand's the eleven minute kind of prog epic yeah, of the album. Yeah. Um probably the most progressive we've ever heard Aku mm. get. It's the longest song they've ever written by far, and this song goes for a huge amount of movement, starting very mellow. Building up to a really heavy part, going into a really annoying bit where he just laughs. Like there's like four tracks of him laughing in different oh, yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't. This <laughs> yeah. only like twenty seconds, but um, and then yeah, I quite the, like that. It sort of it sort of builds on the insanity that you can hear in the music behind it. I quite enjoyed that. Bit. And then comes into a riff at the end. It's it's about a four minute build up of what is essentially near enough the same riff. And it just keeps getting bigger and bigger mm. with more mm. parts being added, get guitars getting more and more complex into a really fast picked, like near solo at the end, and yeah, it's quite a spectacular um piece from them. I kind of wish they they'd done a few more like this and possibly we we've heard tracks for a new album. Yeah, we, we've heard two tracks so far. I was Inner Sanctum and I think it was like disappear. We'll disappear. I Disappear or Disappear. yeah, I think um, it's called Disappear. So we've only heard this one live in Bristol. Yeah. yeah. It, it's not on the Bloodstock feed no, if you didn't didn't manage to catch any of their comeback gigs. If you haven't caught their tour, they've just finished the tour, but they are playing Damnation, which I also have tickets to, do, so I'm going to see them three times on this tour yeah. because <laughs> I might like them too much. But it's, you know, <laughs> the,
2: the new album sounds really proggy as well, sort of in the same vein as uh, Words, which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. I'd love to see more songs like
0: uh, Shelter from the Sound. Uh, yeah, I was going to mention this. Um, so the, the new track Inner Sanctum, there's a, a demo record, well, I think like a kind of very professional sounding good, recording. Yeah, recording. It's not being released properly anywhere. it's just on mm. YouTube effectively. Yeah,
2: because yeah, I think it was played on Radio 2?
0: Radio The Radio was 1 was rock show. Radio 1, I, 1, which is amazing to have Aga Kukka on that. So this is something else that is really worth mentioning. Aga went into complete radio science. They were just done. We didn't hear anything from them from this about 2011, I think. They mm. just completely shut down. Um, I, I was convinced I'd never see them again. Their return was literally... Their Facebook page, which was purely <laughs> one of those memorial-type pages where they just show old mm. photos and stuff, posted uh, in the middle of the afternoon a picture of a monkey leaving a cage <laughs> with the phrase, hashtag the monkey is out of the cage. No explanation of what this was. No further engagement. Then that night at midnight, unceremoniously on the Radio on Rock show, they just played a new act song. <laughs> there would be no hint this band was coming mm-hmm. back at this point. Yeah, that was that was incredible. Sort of surprise, really great to hear that they're back. Definitely a good way of getting hype for yourself. Like mm-hmm. that was, yeah, quite spectacular. Um, yeah, so back back to this album, we um, we have some of the most progressive mo- moments. Like on top of on and Sands, a very long song, we have Words Go Unspoken, which is one of the more progressive songs I think they've ever written. It's a it's a short song. It's only only five minutes long. But it starts off more melodic than they've pretty much ever gone, with mm. this very strange melody over, like I think it's like bongos and stuff yeah, in the background, yeah. um, led up through Dave's vocals and no, Dave Jason's vocals, well. um, <laughs> Dave's a drama, uh, and they get more and more intense as this song builds. Mm. It, it mm. builds to an incredibly heavy midsection. But like so subtly, you don't quite notice you've yeah, got there. Yeah. Intractable. The song after that is quite similar as well. Like it's mm. this
2: really sort of melodic and nice. Still got the Agaraka feel to it, but sort of much lighter and more mellow than they've ever been. Uh, but then it has its really heavy
0: parts as well. And um, the, r- the songwriting on this is excellent. And then that goes straight into Seraphs and Silence, which is like a. It's like a massive like imagine a fresh metal song detuned as hell with like some of the like some death metal vocals over the top and mm-hmm. featuring what Matt Wilcock himself says is his favorite solo he's written. <laughs> definitely worth checking. Yeah, out. oh, definitely the guitar work on this album it has this
2: real technical edge to it, probably as a result of Matt being on it and the guitar work over the top of the really good riffs that Aye write. Sounds excellent, like it's a real staple of a lot of the songs, and
0: it's really, really good to listen to. So, some of the things are worth noting about the like, the whole package of this album. So, previously, Akakoka albums you've possibly seen some of them. The main themes are normally goats and tits, There, <laughs> there, but this album is the first one to take a, a step away from that. So, the front cover of this album is um. Kind of a, a like an Exorcist type scene of a mm, mm. of a man in a suit and a hat, kind of silhouetted in the darkness, walking yeah. up some stairs. Now I'm sure, like the band were worried that the core fans would be alienated like that by by this. So, and the inside cover we have uh, a lot of scenes of women <laughs> with impossibly big tits. Um, <laughs> uh, Standing near goats. Yeah. Or, it, it sadly makes a lot of Agacocca's merchandise unwearable
1: yeah. uh, a,
2: anywhere other than, you know, an Agacocca gig or something. Fortunately, the Antichrist t shirt, which we've both got, <laughs> is
0: alright. Um, but a lot of the other stuff, when we saw, them, it, was like, I just can't wear that anywhere. The the other notable thing about all the uh, the like the inside artwork of it, is this is all drawn by David Gray, who I discovered is also a comic book artist. Yeah, which is really cool. Yeah, he he, I've never heard of it, but he illustrated the comic Hero Nine to Five, apparently. Uh, on top of David Gray as well, uh, you've watched this full thing, but there's um, a documentary which comes with uh, this <laughs> album. Documentary <laughs> is is probably an inaccurate description. Yeah. Very (laughs) worth buying this album. There is a 20 minute long DVD that goes along with it. That is fucking ridiculous. (laughs) But it comes with a segment that I
2: love. As a massive Star Wars fan. There's a segment called Blast Vader. Where it has David dressed in a full Darth Vader outfit. Just playing blast beats on his drum kit. Which
0: I really liked. (laughs) For the the rest of the interviews of this. David is just taking the helmet off of this. And he is walking around. It, it's a very lo-fi thing where they have this fake um, fake Italian music blogger um, <laughs> interviewing Akakaka, asking him such questions as, who would you win in a fight, Rainbow or Deep Purple? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, and then loads of interviews with people like trained gynecologists who certify that David Gray is definitely a cunt. <laughs> 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 also here, eagle eye viewers of this will spit, spot a later bass player um, and Voices frontman Peter Benjamin walking around in the background of one of the scenes looking a bit <laughs> awkward. <laughs> uh,
2: something worth mentioning actually um, because David Gray and as you mentioned Peter Benjamin are from Voices which we covered in the first episode mm-hmm. uh, and the Voices album is incredible. This album is also incredible. If, you're, if you like this album or you like the Voices
0: album... These both of these albums. If you like them, check the other one out. Yeah, these are very good counterpoints. So like, this is probably the most prog Afrikaaner i ever got. Although I'm waiting to see where we've got a new album coming 2017. I think it's the single in, in a Sanctum looked like it was building directly off this mm. album. Like where the Antichrist went, they seem to have ignored that style and come back to this one to an extent. So I want to see where they use this as a jumping off point. Um, and Voices London, one of the most incredibly progressive works David Gray's ever been on. Yeah, I
2: I think we we both recently did a thing on Facebook where we rated our top ten albums of all time, sort of accounting for the influence it's had, and
0: Voices of London came in our top ten. Yes, both of them. (laughs) Totally obsessed. Now, if you like the kind of heavier, more death metal elements of this, like Verdelay and the the second track, Seduced, um, you can see Matt Wilcock and David Gray, and also Voices guitarist Sam and berserker bass player oh shit, also called Sam I can't remember his last name <laughs> um, in the Antichrist Imperium who are mm-hmm. like the kind of the really siphoned off the death metal influence of mm-hmm. um of Aki and into a like yeah really purified that down into a very simple heavy as fuck death metal format and also has one of my favourite band photos ever, which is uh, Sam, like uh, Sam from Voices and David standing outside a really shitty-looking council estate versus Sam and M- Max from The Berserker standing by some palm trees
2: on a <laughs> beach to show the, the Australia-England
0: connection.
2: <laughs> but yeah, like, I mean, this album is a really great point to start. If you really like the sort of black metal influences on this... Go to Mendes and earlier realms are really the place to go. Uh, if, as we were saying, if you like the death metal influences, head across and see the other
0: side projects. Yeah, yeah. Or like Kronson, like really nails those to some extent. I think another like really interesting progression to this album is lyrically. It's one of the like the more philosophical ones. Like mm. um, the main kind of refrain to words that go unspoken is something along the lines of. Um, in between the idea and the action, everything is real. Mm. And it like it gets into kind of more philosophical territory, like it's kind of Satanism but f- with a kind of atheist bent, I guess. Like, yeah. Well I think
2: they've described themselves as they weren't they're not
0: Satanists, they're just atheists with a sense of humour.
2: It's sort of like, you know, they find all this stuff funny. Um and yeah, like I think the lyrics on this album are really good.
0: They sort of sound slightly mysterious and slightly evil, like the music itself sounds. Yeah, uh, also another go on for Shell from the Sand. The the Baptist lack of inner capacity, philosophical sagacity was not seen as a weakness, but in fact a sign of strength. <laughs> <laughs> Which again, fantastic phrase. Yeah, like yeah. It, this is this is not traditional black or death metal. This really is something quite out there. Mm. It's not a release you'd expect on Earache, to be honest. Like, oh, I'm a big fan of Earache records. They've released some incredible albums, but. This is very outside what you would expect for it, and and very befitting of that kind of London scene of bands that just seem to constantly be doing something a bit different. Mm. So um, currently, the the new reformed Acoustic lineup is David Gray uh, and Jason Mondocker as the kind of core. Then Paul Scalander has returned on guitar, and they've picked um, Dam or Dammin bassist uh, Nathaniel Underwood up, yeah, who is. Awesome, and he's, like, he's yeah. now no, he's great. for the first time introducing backing vocals mm. into mm. And, and Sam Sam Linus of uh, of voices on keyboards. Yeah, yeah. and Damn, another band if you're into this kind of style, so worth checking out. They're I they're I think it was like 2008, 2009. Album. Yeah, I
2: think the name now is Damn him. It's uh, which you can and,
0: find on Facebook or SoundCloud or something like that. They've got a new album coming out soon, but their album "Difference Engine" is so worth checking out. It's just death metal done in a way I've not heard before. Mm, mm. There's so many good things coming off this band. Their lineup, like just check out any any side project. There is stuff worth hearing. Um, Paul's band Galdic Curse" that he did briefly in between. Just really off kilter black metal, mm. led by his bizarre guitar style.
2: I suppose the one thing we haven't mentioned, which you mentioned with the Voices album, is the drumming on this album is spectacular. (laughs) Particularly watching songs from this live as well. It's the drum fills that are done, accentuate the riffs so well, and the rest of the drumming is so fast and so precise, and fits the song so nicely. It's David Gray is a fantastic drummer.
0: Yeah, Yeah, undeniably brilliant. This is actually probably his most understated. I don't know if it's the mix that does this or what, but... He's not so in your face as he has been on mm. like if you listen to a song like Breaking the Silence from Go and like you've got a full-on drum solo in there. Like <laughs> But this is more toned down, but my god, it's impressive. Mm, mm, definitely. Um the the other interesting thing to note, like David Gray's got into his kit setup that like he used for quite a while after this and I think he's still using for Akakocker, which is a bizarre kit I've never seen anyone else do, where it's entirely real toms and cymbals. But an electric kick drum.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it really helps get the precise sound. But when you when you look at him, like it just looks really strange. You can sort of see his legs and stuff, which you're not used to with most drummers. Very rare, right, especially your metal drummers with a normal dual kick drum. Mm. All right, yeah. Like I mean, a lot of people might see a problem with something like that. But I, I mean, it sounds perfect for the style of music they play. The
0: really precise kick drums really add to it. And yeah, I think it's fantastic drumming, regardless of the setup. Yeah, and as we were saying before, seen them live now a few times, and they are a very precise live act and very Mm -hmm. intense. Like, this is something you've really got to go and try and see live. Even if you don't know them from before, I think this could really convert people to their sound, and hopefully they pick up more of a following than they had many years ago. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, they sound bigger and better, or like every instrument, particularly
0: I thought Jason's vocals live (laughs) were just remarkable. It's really worth checking out. Yeah, um, I had the, the honour of being sweated on him in the front row <laughs> at Bristol. <laughs> it, it was fantastic. Um, yeah, so check out the, the the feed from Bloodstock. It's definitely worth it. Don't judge the vocals too harshly. They didn't sound like that live. I mm. do believe that's the Bloodstock mix. Um, and yeah, this album, probably, I would say, the best start point for this band. It's I think so, yeah. It's kind of, it's got the most elements that kind of make up their sound and it, the very clean production actually works brilliantly here. I think so yeah. so the, the song we went for to out on this is the title strike words are go spoken deeds are gone done by far the most prog on the album oh, I think definitely
1: <laughs>